the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 16th chapter. Jesus said there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you were here last week, you know that our uh, lectionary schedule of readings has been walking us through a section of Luke's gospel where Jesus, whether we want to hear this or not, speaks at length about faith and faithfulness and money. We learned last week that he was saying those things to his disciples, but listening in were some Pharisees who talked a really good game, religion-wise, and who wanted you to know that they were personally big deals, not to mention way better than you, religion-wise. But Luke and his gospel made sure that we knew, that Jesus knew, that beneath this finely maintained religious veneer and this religious posturing, worshipped and enthroned in their hearts was not God, but money. The parable Jesus told them last week, you may recall, was a real bugger. It was hard. If you weren't here last week, go back and read it and see if you can figure it out. That was the problem. It's a parable that's not clear. It was hard to know what Jesus was even saying. Today's parable told in that same setting, to that same group of people, is, I think, also a bugger. <laughs> Every bit as hard, but for the exact opposite reason. The reason being that it's not at all confusing what he's saying. And what he's saying can kind of bite when it comes to a lot of us who do have the bottom lines and the net worths that we do have. We're going to go to Luke's gospel text uh, via the other lessons, as I mentioned. We're going to start with the psalm, 
which begins by saying that if you have pinned your very highest hopes, including your soul's hopes, to earthly leaders and all that they, they promise, here's a promise you can take to the bank, spiritually speaking, for sure. You will not, and you will in the end be let down. Because earthly leaders, even if they intended to give you all the things they promise you, which in this clearly oft hell-bent world is not often in the case, but even when it is the case, the leaders of this world can only give you the things that they can give you. And so many of the things they do promise you, but which frankly aren't theirs to give. Not to mention the fact the psalmist goes on to say that earthly leaders are just as mortal as you, which means that in the end they will, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, die just like you, and their ability to keep their promises to you will die with them. But there's a better way, the psalmist says, to which I say I would hope so, because so far this is pretty depressing. But there's a better way, the psalmist says. Put your trust not in them. Put your trust in the Lord who created and breathed life into the heavens and the seas and the earth and you, and who keeps promises not just unto death but unto forever. And so, says the psalmist, happy are those whose ultimate hope is not in the kings and kingdoms or politicians and political parties of this world, but rather in the Lord their God. And then the psalmist goes on to recount a number of the promises of God, the overarching and uniting theme being that whereas the leaders or the peoples or the things of this world often let you down or drive you down, the Lord is the one who lifts you up. For the Lord, says the psalmist, gives justice to those who are oppressed and food to those who hunger. The Lord sets the captives free and lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord cares for the stranger, sustains the orphan and the widow. The Lord frustrates the ways of the wicked, whose time and power, whose reigns will come to an end. But the Lord, the psalmist concludes, shall reign forever and ever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. By way of transition from that to our first reading for today, here is a big picture Bible truth. This is a truth so big and so true that if you don't know this truth, you don't want to go around telling people how much you know about the Bible. The truth I'm talking about is that the God the psalmist tells us about, the God who sees and helps and lifts up and sustains and cares for those in the world who most need care, passionately, clearly, unambiguously intends for them to know God's love and God's care because God's people who are truly God's people love and care for them too. And if that's not how it is, if people say they love God, all are about saying they love God, but they ignore those most in need, then that love for God that they or you or I profess is actually not love for God at all. Which takes us to that first reading where we heard the prophet Amos today in the name of God railing against a people for whom that not love God at all thing was precisely the case. He was railing against people who were rich and who took their riches to mean how very, very pleased God was with them, but who then conspicuously and consumptively extravagantly spent their riches on absolutely nothing but themselves, clearly ignoring the words of both law and prophets, which clearly does say over and over again that those richly blessed by God are called to be a blessing but for God's sake to others. 
Amos preached at a place and a time in biblical history, that being uh, the northern kingdom of these two kingdoms that, 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 that King Solomon's kingdom had split into after Solomon died, where and when he railed against, loudly against extravagant opulence, holding hands with callous indifference. And he accompanied his railing and condemning of such with a warning. A nation whose rich ignore its poor, the prophet Amos said, is a nation that would not continue forever or even for long to stand. And, well, Amos was, was a prophet, a true one. And true prophets, though they were most often regularly ignored or worse in their lifetimes, nevertheless came in the end to be known as true prophets because this, because the things they said proved to be true. Which in this case happened two decades or so after Amos said the things he said and warned the things he warned, warned warnings which were ignored and so things didn't change. The poor continued to be ignored too until circa 727 BC when the northern kingdom and its capital city of Samaria were conquered by the Assyrian Empire never to be a nation or a kingdom or a recognizable people even ever again, even to this day. When a nation's rich ignore its poor, Amos said, that nation will not forever stand. Strong words, hard words, and true prophets being true prophets, a message which hasn't stopped being true even 2,700 years later. A nation claiming to be one nation under God will prove that not with its pledges of allegiances or its waving of flags at mass rallies, but rather by its care and compassion for those most in need. Don't like that truth? Don't come to me. Take it up with the prophets. Which leads to our gospel reading for today and that parable, which unlike last week is not hard because it's confusingly unclear, it's hard rather because it is disturbingly so very clear. A parable about, says Jesus, a rich man, remember he's on this roll of faith and money, an apparently very rich man who richly and extravagantly and sumptuously feasts, not just occasionally, but he sumptuously feasts every single day on all the rich things his riches can buy. But also, says Jesus, every single day at this rich man's front gate, where daily he welcomed his rich guests to join him for his rich feasts, every single day lay there, not sat, but lay, apparently too weak to sit, a poor man, who was covered in sores and who would have been happy to have, blessed to have, even just crumbs from the rich man's table, but he was given nothing. Not because no one noticed, that will become evident in, later in the parable, but rather because no one who noticed cared. We're not told the name of the rich man. We are told the name of the poor man. Lazarus, not the same Lazarus as some other Bible stories, it's a Lazarus in a parable. But it's a significant deal, I think. The world knows the names and likes to name the names and drop the names of the rich. God, on the other hand, being the same God as the God the psalmist told us about, the one who lifts up the low, knows the names and names the names of the poor. 
It's one of the first steps in caring. Just as perhaps one of the first steps in not caring is to let the poor remain ever nameless. Both of these men then, says Jesus, died. The named one, this Lazarus, was then taken up to, the older translations used to say, the bosom of Abraham, which we don't, yeah, translations don't say it anymore. It's got a little gender, genderly ambiguous, apparently, which was the language, however, that Jews used to use to refer to something comparable to what we now think of as heaven. Christians like to speak of heaven where we'll go to be with Jesus. Jesus then thought of heaven as going to be with Abraham. And he was received there and comforted there. The rich man, on the other hand, when he died, went to, it says, Hades, which seems actually not in the Bible to be quite synonymous with, with hell, but rather closer in meaning to the Jewish word Sheol, which means um, the land of the dead, not quite hell per se, but nevertheless, in this case, seemingly on hell's front porch, because it says that he suffered there, and included in his suffering was the fact that he could see Lazarus, in Abraham's arms, not suffering at all. And he says, Father Abraham, tell Lazarus to dip his finger in cooling water and come to me to cool my tongue. Oh my, I'm going to tell you, there are a number of oh my's uh, right here. Uh, as in, oh my, he still thinks he's the top dog around here and it's all about him and he can still be the one giving the orders. And oh my, he called him Lazarus, which means he did, as it turns out, all along know him know his name. He just hadn't, as it turned out, all along cared. And oh my, the chutzpah. He spent a lifetime ignoring Lazarus in his need, and now he wants Lazarus in eternity to care for him in his need. Which, who knows, Lazarus might have been glad to do. Except, said Abraham in the parable, there was a chasm between Abraham and Lazarus and the rich man, and it was a chasm nobody could pass in either direction. Well, then the rich man said, thinking finally of someone who wasn't just him, he said, if you can't do that, then send Lazarus back to my five brothers because they're, they're back there living the same way I did and they can still, they can still change and, and end up not here in this place with me. Abraham said, no, 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 no. They already have the law. They already have the prophets saying all those things to them already and they haven't listened. They won't listen even if someone rises from the dead to speak to them. And that's the end of the parable. Now we, of course, are, are people who do know one who did rise from the dead to speak, and he's the one speaking to us in this parable today, and he's saying to us, well, what exactly do you think? That it's up to us to work and find our way someday to heaven and not Hades or hell by doing enough good things here and now for the poor? Uh, no, right? I mean, of course not, right? This is Jesus speaking to us after all. We know clear from so many, clearly from so many things he clearly says elsewhere that doing good is, of course, a good thing. But doing good is not what gets us to heaven at the end of our day because at the end of our lives we are still sinners. That is to say we are still not as good as the goodness and righteousness of God demands us to be. And what is, what's going to get us to heaven one day is not the good we did, but the good he did for us and still does for us. For he's the one and the only one who could and did cross the chasm between the holiness of God and hell for us. So anything other than that is surely not, surely not what Jesus is intending this parable to say. In fact, this being a parable, right? 
Um, let's just say a story Jesus told, to make, not just to make a point, but, to, but when he told these stories, he wanted to draw us into them and to, to be shaped by them. I don't actually think this particular parable intends necessarily literally to be about uh, heaven or hell someday per se. I think it's about the fact that the values of the kingdom of God to, when she, to which Jesus invites us into not just someday but here and now, the kingdom of God. The values of that kingdom are mirror opposites of most of the values of the kings and kingdoms of this world. And to go back to where we started, that being the psalm, only the king of one of those kingdoms, that being the kingdom of God, is worthy of our trust, not only unto life in heaven someday, but also unto life that is life that life is meant to be here and now every day. Life that is meant to be and can be here and now and every day. The hope this harsh parable brings, in other words, harsh because most of us who are by the world's standards are rich. The hope is not so much in this parable for the afterlife. We have that elsewhere in Scripture. I'm not taking that away. But this parable, I think, is meant to take its proper place when it stands in line with all the other places in Scripture where the hope that we are offered is the hope that people can, that we can, even in this world where so many do ignore those most in need, people can, we can, be transformed to live a better life and a really truer life starting precisely here and now on earth. And in doing so, whether or not we happen to be really rich, we become something better than really rich in being shaped by those values for the good of others. We become rich, really. That's the life Paul is talking about in our second reading for today when he says to Timothy, a young man whom he loved like a son, whom he mentored and grew into his co-worker in the gospel, and wanting to grow him into the fullness of life, what Paul did in today's reading was talk to his beloved Timothy about money. His overall point being that those who are rich in Christ will live lives that are different then because they will have priorities that are different then. Those who live their lives with the paltry and meager goal of merely wanting to be really rich. In Paul's words, the love of money, not money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from them faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, man of God, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. As for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share. 
thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of life that really is life and riches that truly are riches. Amen.